is Bad Boys and Beyond with your hosts, Mike Payton and Keith Black Trudeau. The game's over and the Pistons have won the world championship. With the first pick in the 2001 NBA draft, the Washington Wizards select Kwame Brown from Lynn Academy, Brunswick, Michael, what were you thinking? Oh, my gosh. Uh, All right. Well, uh, we're not going to make that mistake on today's show. Uh, (laughs) I'm uh, Mike Payton, uh, your host, and your other host, Keith Black Trudeau, is here as well. This is Bad Boys Beyond, and we are doing the 2001 NBA draft. And Kwame Brown will – I could say 99.9% sure Kwame Brown's not getting drafted today. He well, if if he does, it will be you because he's not on my board. He's not on my board either. So sorry, Kwame. Uh, all right. Oh, well, Kwame to... Brown, real quick, since we're obviously not going to talk about him, he was a legit. He was a legitimate NBA player for a good decade. He, he wasn't a very good one, but it, it, it's not like he wasn't. He didn't belong on the court at all. Uh, I I think. Yes, in terms of being a number one overall pick, yes, he was a bust, but that's different from saying the guy didn't belong in the NBA. He absolutely did. Uh, okay, uh, <laughs> that's fine. Uh, yeah, I mean, if if your qualifications for being in the NBA is just being a big guy who could stand in the paint, then yes, Kwame Brown. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, he was athletic. He could play some – no, Kwame Brown was a legitimate, very good post defender. Very big, very strong, and he was a lot more athletic than he looked. He had no skill. His problem is he had little. He had his hands were so small he could not grip the basketball very well. So he he was defeated really before, before he started because he couldn't hold on to the ball. It was so easy to slap the ball out of his hands, and that that really killed any chance he had of being an effective offensive player. Uh, not to not to get too off the the beaded path here, but. Uh... It, is small hands like this thing that it, it's it rules sports now? Everybody like the combine, the NFL combine is coming up uh, this weekend, and everyone's you know this is where the small hands talk comes into play. Like everybody, this quarterback's got small hands, and this guy you can't draft Kenny Pickett because his hands are small, and um, Jared Goff's hands were supposedly too small, and uh, it's just yeah. <laughs> It's such a weird, like, I, I I don't know. I've never really seen that actually affect a player's career. Uh, I've seen other things affect a player's career. But I guess I, I get it in the NBA. If you can't grip that basketball, especially being a big man we're in a position where you need to be able to grip that basketball, uh, I get that. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's just a weird thing I didn't care about in the 90s that's super important now. <laughs> Yeah, the um, it, it is honestly a very telling. Like, if you look at some of the best players in the that have ever played the game, that are primary ball handlers, the, the one thing that they all have in common is they all have enormous hands. Michael Jordan, Julius Irving, huge, yeah. uh, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Giannis, LeBron—they all have enormous hands, even for uh, for human beings their height. And yes, that absolutely matters because the long the the more control you can have over basketball with one hand, the more time you have to make decisions. Uh, and I think it's not to go off topic, but I think that's kind of the way with the quarterbacks. I don't think having bigger hands helps you to throw a football any better. I do think it, it allows you to secure the football better, which probably it allows, I'm guessing from a quarterback's perspective, it probably allows you to hold onto a football with a little bit more confidence, not thinking that a fingertip or a a spare hand is going to swat it loose and then you're going to fumble because that Jared Goff, I think we can both agree, good quarterback, but he did have fumble problems a lot in his career. Yeah, I mean that was that was definitely an issue his first year in Detroit for sure. Uh, it seems to be something he's cleaned up. Hopefully, uh, he'll continue to clean that up. But this is not a football podcast. I got to put my my other career aside for this. Uh, <laughs> we're talking about basketball. So speaking of big men uh, doing things in the paint. We got to talk about James Wiseman. Now, look, I 
I don't want to get too excited here. It's only been four games, you know, but in four games, he's averaging 13 points and eight rebounds a game. Uh, Last night, uh, we're recording this on Tuesday. Last night, Monday, uh, the Pistons played the Charlotte Hornets. He got a chance to start, and he finished the game with 23 points and seven rebounds uh, and just looked really good. Keith, you were actually at that game. Is is James Wiseman like? Does he have a chance to be a legit player? I think he already is a legit player. I, I, all right. I think the bigger question is: Does he have a chance to be a star? Like, look, you can watch James Wiseman play for more than five minutes, and he's not in a position where he's afraid to make a mistake or he'll get taken out. If you just let him play, it's obvious he's seven foot one, two fifty. I mean, he's an enormous human being, great agility, uh, good ball skills. Like, there's no reason why he can't be a very good NBA player. Uh, I, for those of you that don't know, I do live in the in the area of Charlotte, North Carolina. So whenever the Pistons come to Charlotte for a road game, I'm always there. And so one of the good one of the few good things about the Hornets and Pistons both being terrible is you can get great seats for 20 bucks in any case i paid close attention to james wiseman uh last night he started i i thought he played his ass off a very good motor he had he had a couple it wasn't just dunks around the rim of course he did have a few of those uh he had a couple of mid-range shots he had uh, a play where he took the ball coast to coast uh flashing some pretty good ball handling skills for a guy his size. And then he stepped back and hit, hit, hit his only three-point attempt of the day. So he he showed in a relatively short amount of time all of the different ways he can put the ball in the basket. Uh, the question is, how good, how effective will he be defensively? I think that's still up in the air. He wasn't out there with a very good team. But I, I think if you are rooting for the Detroit Pistons and – you were not uh, impressed by what he's shown in these first, I don't know, three or four games that he's been in Detroit. I think you're lying to yourself because he's absolutely uh, shown a great deal of promise. And I, I think there's every reason to expect him to keep on improving, uh, not only for the rest of this season, but going into next season. I am, uh, I, I'm just, I've got blown away because I just, you know, I was, I was so mad about this trade. Uh, and gosh, Troy got me again, man. Uh, I, I like, it's so, there's so much more work to do. Obviously uh, I'm not crowning anyone at this point, but it's like, I watch I watch Wiseman play and I get it. I get what, what Weaver saw. I get what the Warriors saw. I get what everyone saw. Yeah. Like the, the way he shoots the basketball, like he shouldn't be able to do that at, at his size, but like he's got such a smooth stroke, and I'm just I'm excited to see if this if this pans out. I mean, who needs Victor Victor Wembanyama? All right, there um, it is. I'm going crazy now. All right, yeah. All right, Let, let's style it back a little bit. Okay. By the way, I mean, come on, we don't we don't even know if Victor Wembanyama is going to be good in the NBA yet, but. You what? You're ready to crown that guy? Yes, I think there's this, there's the a... only the only way that he does not become a perennial all star at the at minimum is if he can't stay healthy or if he gets hurt or something along those lines. There's, there's there is just too much that he brings to the table at what what is he seven four seven five? Yeah, guy with forward skills, he can handle yeah. the ball, shoot threes. It, it's not. It's like it, it's like Boban Marjanovic. Um, as enormous a human being as he is, where he can, he, he's almost the same height where he can dunk the ball without really even needing to jump. It, it is an unfair advantage to be at that tall and have those skills. I, I'm not going to say that because injuries eventually right. what y'all mean from being great. Uh, being that insanely tall, not everybody that tall goes through injury issues, but it's not uncommon either. So if you draft him number one, and whoever gets number one will take him, I promise you. Yeah. You're, you're excited, but you're also kind of crossing your fingers uh, that something bad doesn't happen. But I promise you, if he doesn't succeed, it will not be because he lacks skills. Uh, I've seen him play, and I mean, I'm very impressed. Uh, weirdest jump shot in the world. Uh, but <clears throat> he's 
he's impressive. He's definitely impressive. But I always get a little uh, leery about the sure thing picks uh, because sometimes it seems more often than not, they're not exactly the sure thing. And uh, and things don't wind up as well as you, you'd hope they would. But we'll see. I mean, because there's a very good chance he's a piston next year. So we'll, I guess we'll see what happens. But uh, there's a one in seven chance, maybe. One in seven chance that Victor Wembanyama is a piston. I would probably look more uh, into the idea of Scoot Henderson or or uh, Brandon Williams being a piston, but but we'll see. We'll see where it goes. Uh, the other thing we got to talk about, and uh, I I brought this up off the air, and you went, "Do we have to?" Um, we had another seventy point game this, yeah. this uh, <laughs> recently. Damian Lillard dropped seventy one on the Rockets, and um, I think you found out you found out shortly thereafter that we were kind of in lockstep on the same idea here. And this is getting ridiculous. Uh, two seventy point games in one season is it's. I mean, has this happened before? I this couldn't have happened before, right? Two seventy point games in one season. Well, I'm sure that I no no because Wilt was doing that himself right. a lot. So, but, but two different players. Two, yeah, two different players having seventy. I honestly don't think so. I think you're right. I don't think there has been a season where two different players scored 70 in the same season. Right. And this and, is where yeah, this Yeah. This is the, where the, we, we is, sound like old men. But go well, ahead. Well, I don't <laughs> points are coming so cheaply now. I I, I grew up in Atlanta. Yes. I, I started watching basketball at the tail end of the eighties when when scoring was prevalent and fast breaks were the thing and everyone was getting dunks. But, you know, my formative years were in the 90s where, you know, if you scored 40 points, it was considered a major accomplishment. And it led Sports Center. And God forbid you scored 50. That was the highlight of your entire career, even if you were an all-star. Like I said, Thomas never scored 50 in his entire life. Now you have guys scoring 50 just because uh, you have, you know, very good players and Make no mistake, Damian Lillard and um, Donovan Mitchell are both of those guys are going to the Hall of Fame at some point. They're great players, but it's just—is this necessary? <laughs> like, have have we gone a little bit too far with all of the scoring? We, but in the rules have obviously made it so easy to score, uh, especially if you're a great player. That it's—I don't want to say it's boring, but it's—it's it's just not. To me, it lacks the challenge. Like, there's just way too many restrictions on defensive players that it's so easy for great offensive players to exploit uh, the rules. And not to mention, you know, the the eliminating back-to-backs and guys, you know, never being really tired in an entire season because they're constantly getting rest days whenever there's a a long stretch of games. It's just like... the entire league is set on easy mode, and I, I, I understand the the game isn't. I'm I'm over forty. The game isn't for me anymore. It's it's the younger generation that's driving this, but that doesn't mean I necessarily have to like it. Yeah, I I mean, look, I love I love basketball. I, I I'm always gonna love basketball, regardless of what happens. Uh, you know, to the game and. But I, I the, the problem, I just, it's just, we got to play defense, man. Like, I, I don't, I'm not saying that it has to be uh, the 2004 Pistons or that, or that era of basketball, which was incredibly low scoring, because I don't think anybody wants to see that again. But if we can meet, get some sort of happy median uh, between high scoring and defensive games, uh, yeah, you know, that would be, that would be incredible. I mean, just like the other night, the Pistons held uh, uh, the Raptors under a hundred points, and that was like uh, the sh- most shocking thing in the world. Like, yeah. I, you know, it's like it's, that shouldn't be that shouldn't be that big of a deal. Like, it it should be, you know, um, I don't know, man. I, I guess you know that's the problem. I, I I hate complaining about things because it always makes me seem like the old head, and and you know, and I, and I don't. I, I, who wants to be the old head, right? It's just like right. I just I just worry that we're good. We're going to get to a point where the NBA is is just going to be all about points, 
and no one's going to be, you know, no one's going to be a defender and no one's going to, there's not going to be any defensive prowess. There's not going to be any uh, guys that you could point to and say, you know, like that guy could stop anybody or, you know, the defensive player of the year award is just going to be something they just hand out to whoever just, you know, whatever that guy had a great block that one night. So he's, he's the defensive player of the year. I just, I, I just worry that where this is going, but at the same time, I also kind of have to look at it like I'm sure our dads uh, were probably like, I can't believe where the NBA is going in the 90s. You know what I mean? Like they probably thought or or the 80s where it was like so much more uh, of a violent game than it was in the 70s. Or it, it's just it, it generations, it changes, it changes, it changes. Yeah. So who knows? 10 years from now, it could be a completely different game. It could be it could it could maybe uh be a cyclical thing where it, it just kind of goes back to what it was in the 90s or what it was in the 80s uh, i i don't know we'll 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 see but right now it's just man i would really really love to see an all out defensive war between two teams uh who have to fight to get their points and uh, i just that's just not what we're seeing anymore bring back the Knicks and heat now yeah <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> if, if I could put a bow on this one, it, it, there's a saying in boxing: styles make fights. And all that means is variety. I, the variety is the most important thing in pretty much any sporting event. Uh, you know, the, the classic uh, Im- irresistible force versus the immovable object. Right. I, I thought. The NBA Finals was really at its peak when Showtime was playing the bad boys because you had one team that wanted to run you off the court and another team that wanted to beat you up and slow it down. And it was just great to see these two great teams that that specialized in two completely opposite things uh, fight each other out in the finals. And I think we're kind of going away from that work. It's just this homogenous, every single team wants to spread the floor out, shoot threes and score 130 points. I don't I don't necessarily hate the way that the league is going with the with the emphasis on space and pace and everything else and, and the shooting threes. That's fine. But I, I can't have 30 of the same team doing that. It is very difficult uh, for me to watch. And I think it's difficult for fans half my age to watch. I, I, I would like to think going forward, I really want to see the rules to allow a greater variety of styles of play is, is all I'm getting at. <clears throat> Yeah. If if you want me to get really old head, uh, I could talk about, you know, covering high school games for the newspaper and watching watching 16 year old kids try to hit it from half court. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's that's kind of what the NBA has done to to youth basketball. But but, you know, whatever. Uh, most of these kids don't make it. And it's hilarious. But still, anyways, uh, we're not gonna we're not gonna get all old head tonight. So let's uh, let's go ahead and get into our topic today: the 2001 NBA Draft. Keith, hit us with the news and notes. So, welcome to the 2001 NBA Draft, otherwise known as the year the NBA Draft jumped the shark. Uh, this draft was known for a, a, a bit of an overreaction to previous years where foreign players were undervalued where high school uh, players were undervalued. And this is about the point when you're seeing Kobe Bryant come into his own, Tracy McGrady come into his own, Jermaine O'Neal. He's yeah, this is his first season in Indiana. He's really coming into his own. And you have Dirk Nowitzki on the European side, Peja Siakovich, Steve Nash, all these foreign players, all these high school to the uh, to the pros players who were all under underrated in the draft, and it caused this mass overreaction to where every GM wanted either a foreign player or a high school prospect, and it really came to a head in this draft, where I think what four of the top five players never played a game in college. They were the two two the two top picks were both high school players, and then there was a foreign player and another high school player. Everyone wanted a high school player. Everyone wanted a foreign player. And it was, some of them panned out. A lot of them didn't. Uh, One other note, this was uh, the, this was also the year the NBA draft ended their, their road trip. 
they're back in Madison Square Garden this year, and they have held a draft in the New York metropolitan area uh, ever since. And Knicks fans have been heard booing ever since. Yeah. <laughs> I can't think. Of, did the I, this is probably uh, not not true, but I can't think of any Knicks pick that the crowd cheered for and liked. Yeah, since. remember we went we went over uh, uh, um, the, the second round pick, uh, Magic Lampe. Remember. Oh, Talk that's about, right. Magic Lamp. Yeah, yeah, he got like a standing ovation when the Knicks picked him in the first pick of the second round. Oh, okay. I don't know. Good for them. Uh, well, I think they cheered John Wallace, too, I think. Or did, was that even in New York? Was 97 in New York? No, or it wasn't. Was okay. No, 97. I don't remember when 97 was. All right. Well, let's, uh, let, I believe it's your week to go uh, number one. And I am curious as to what you're going to do. So, yeah, this is a really difficult decision for no, no, it really isn't. Uh, I am going to, with the first pick uh, in the 2001 draft, uh, I will, I am about to overrule Michael Jordan. Uh, sorry, Michael, but you were wrong here. And I am going to select uh, out of Spain one Pau Gasol. I, uh, I actually, I'm sorry. I actually is clearly the best player in this draft. He is by far and away the best player on my board. Uh, I would trade, honestly, if I had the second and third picks, I would still trade up just to get him. Not not that there aren't other really good players on here, uh, but let's be honest, pa- Pau Gasol is a legit Hall of Famer. Uh, great tag team partner for Kobe Bryant during Kobe's later years. Uh, one of the great international players of all time, not that that necessarily applies here, but Man, what a talent he was. Uh, and to, to get drafted, you know, he was a teenager when they took him. Uh, tall, lanky, fast. Uh, he he did a lot of the things Nikola Jokic does now. Maybe he doesn't do them quite as well, and he didn't have quite uh, as strong a body, but he still did them, and he was still excellent, excellent player for a number of years. Now, what he does with the Wizards, I don't know, but I know Michael Jordan is not going to intimidate him like he intimidated Kwame Brown. Uh, Michael Jordan is not going to run Pau Gasol out of the league. So I don't know if that prevents him from trading Rip Hamilton in a year. It probably doesn't. But in two years after Michael hangs him up uh, for good this time, I think the Wizards have a legit foundational piece uh, to build for the rest of the decade. So I am going to take this pick uh, and be very happy about it. I uh, Sorry, I was getting in your way a little earlier there. I actually thought that... This was a difficult decision. Really? Uh, yeah, because no, look, I mean, Pau Gasol is incredible, uh, amazing player. And um, I just, you know, but I thought Tony Parker could have made a really good case to go number one. Um, just being a point guard, just being a guy that is going to, you know, that, that can control the floor for your team and control the floor for the Spurs for many years and help them win many championships. I, I really thought that he there he could have had a shot to go number one, and he's going to go number two in in, in my my draft, obviously, because the Bulls are uh, the Bulls are going to take J, uh, <clears throat> Jay White next year, or Jay I, Williams. Jay Williams, sorry, Jay Jay White is a wrestler. I'm getting my Jays messed <laughs> up. Uh, the Bulls are going to take Jay Williams next year. He's going to play exactly 75 games and then uh, make his way over to ESPN. And it's going to suck. Uh, and I still wish that that kid would have not rode a motorcycle uh, and maybe he would have had a shot to be, become a, a good player long-term. But Tony Parker is going to be a great point guard for this Bulls team. And he's going to get everything under control. Um, maybe they don't even wind up taking Derrick Rose down the road someday, uh, which would be foolish because Derrick Rose is going to be incredible. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to take Tony Parker and, uh, before we, before we get into this next pick, which is the Grizzlies, I, we got a, we got a little bit of a story time here, little, little bit of a story time. So the Memphis Grizzlies are an important team to me. Uh, the Detroit Pistons are my team. That is my team. No doubt about it. If the Detroit Pistons are out, I'm a Memphis Grizzlies fan. Okay. And And here's why. Uh, when I was 15 years old, 
my I came home one day from school, freshman year is almost over. Uh, my parents informed me that we are going to be moving to Memphis, Tennessee. Oh, and I was super bummed about this. Uh, on the drive there, I didn't know I it hadn't processed in my head yet. On the drive there, my mom was like, "You know, the the Memphis has a basketball team now," and she's like, "And Shane Battier is going to be playing there." And I'm like, "Oh yeah, that's right. The Grizzlies moved to Memphis," and. I don't know. For some reason, I emotionally paired up like I, you know, I'm going to be okay because I'm not the only one moving there. The Grizzlies are going to be there too. And and we're all going to have to, you know, find a way to, to make new friends and, and get people to like us and blah, blah, blah. And I don't know. I just, just the, the Grizzlies being in Memphis always made me more comfortable with moving uh, to Memphis. So, um, it's the weirdest thing to latch latch onto, but uh, so yeah, this this pick was uh, that Grizzlies team with Pau Gasol and Jason Williams and Stro Miles Swift and yeah, all the guys that were on that team um, and Shane Batty, of course. Uh, I loved that team, and yeah, I I still have my Jason Williams Memphis Grizzlies jersey here in the house. Maybe maybe one time I'll wear it on the podcast, but it probably won't because it's a large. And I am not a large anymore. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's move out of the Grizzlies pick. Okay, so the Grizzlies, having traded uh, Sharif Abdurrahim uh, for this pick, have essentially cleaned house. They have two of the top six picks in this draft. They are essentially a blank slate. Uh, they, I can't remember if they traded Mike Bibby before or after this draft. I think it may be after, but I'm going to – Take that as he's still gone. So I'm going to have Jason Williams, uh, White Chocolate Williams, as my starting point guard. And what am I going to need uh, the most? Three of the top six picks. I'm trying to look ahead on my board, even though I won't be making this next selection. You will. Uh, but how am I going to set them uh, set up the Grizzlies the best? All right. So I am going to go with some excitement here. I'm going to actually go down on my board a little bit, select the most exciting player in this draft, in my opinion, one uh, Jason Richardson out of Michigan state. Uh, Jason Richardson known as the, the freshman on Michigan state's last uh, national championship team in the year 2000 uh, came into the NBA. People had, you know, some questions about his handle, but he was always a phenomenal athlete uh, showed up, uh, Showed, showed himself to be an excellent perimeter shooter, a uh, better handle than I think people realized, and really had a really uh, effective career for a very long time in the league as, as a 20-plus point-a-game scorer. I, I like him here ahead of some other guys because he's good pretty much right away. He doesn't need a whole lot of development, and I think that's what Memphis kind of needs right now. I, I think they, they need someone a little bit further along. Uh, to be one of their franchise anchors. And since I can't get Pau Gasol at number three, like the Grizzlies originally did, I'm going to take the next uh, best player in that regard. It's going to be Jason Richardson. I, uh, I so, love Jason Richardson. Big fan. Uh, obviously, as a Michigan State guy, uh, that team with Richardson and and Zach Randolph, uh, big fan. Big fan of that team. So once again, you're back on the board uh, with the Chicago Bulls at number four this time. All right. I'm going to build an amazing backcourt here. So we already took Tony Parker with the second pick in the draft. We are going to go, and, and I, look, I know this is a team that's got Ron Mercer, uh, and and he's not going to be long for this world. He's going to get moved here pretty soon. Uh, so and, and Fred Hoiberg's on this team too. Remember Fred Hoiberg? Good times. Uh, we're going to go ahead and take – Joe Johnson. Oof. Joe Johnson is a uh, a scoring dynamo. Um, a guy that was at one point in time was averaging 25 points a game. Uh this is this is this is good. This is this is really good. And, and also longevity. That's one of the things I really like. Is a guy who plays for a long time. Uh there, there's there was some injury issues in there a little bit, but but whatever. I'm going with a, a backcourt of Joe Johnson and Tony Parker 
And I couldn't be more excited to do it. And the other thing I like about Joe is that he could play small forward too. And if, you know, we find another shooting guard down the line, we could always move Joe over to the small forward and, and have an even more complete lineup. Uh, I always hate how we make the Bulls better. Yeah, so I saw Joe. Uh, another one of the very long list of lottery picks that the Celtics made and then quickly gave up on too early. Yeah, he 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 struggled for a little bit. He needed some he needed some good development, which he didn't really get until he went to Phoenix uh, with those seven seconds or less teams. Yeah, I, I I'm right there with you. This this backcourt of Joe Johnson and Tony Parker, I think that's a great mix because Joe Johnson can share the ball handling duties and the playmaking duties. Tony Parker is more of a score first player, especially at the beginning of his career. Uh, I, I I love how we've kind of uh, given the middle finger to uh, <laughs> to their Jerry Krause's. Uh, grand rebuilding plan because he <laughs> wanted two centers. He he drafted two centers. We've we've taken his picks and drafted two guards. We've kept right. Jerry Krause employed. That's what we've done. Yeah, we really have. Um, so the fifth pick, uh, on behalf of the Golden State Warriors, I am going to select, and this is going to be a very easy one because this has been the best player on my board for a little bit now, Tyson Chandler out of Dominguez High School in Compton. <laughs> I know this because uh, the, the high school that I went to, uh, St. Mary's, uh, we were, my, my senior year, we were nationally ranked. And so we would go in and the USA Today would have, once a week, they would give their high school boys uh, basketball rankings, the top 25 in the country. And you know, we went, we went undefeated that year, so we never left. We were always in those rankings. But up near the top, there was this uh, high school called Dominguez in Compton, and it would always give, you know, Tyson Chandler had 30 points and 25 rebounds and eight block shots. And I'm like, oh, my God, who is this Tyson Chandler kid? And, uh, yeah, it, it took him a little bit. It, it's kind of interesting how he and Kwame Brown, their paths diverged because they both struggled right away out of high school as the top two picks on the draft. Uh, but whereas Kwame kind of leveled off and he never improved, uh, Tyson Chandler, 10 years later, defensive player of the year and an NBA champion, uh, it just goes to show like, and, and he wasn't a great offensive player either. He was just so damn good. And he, he worked so hard on defense that it made his whole career. And the Warriors have never had a great defensive big man really until they got Andrew Bogut at the end of his career. Uh, this this I don't know how this is going to set them up because not having Jason Richardson, they they still have a need for talent, even though they have Antoine Jameson at this point. But they, clearly, they've always had a way to get scores. They just haven't had a, a glue guy in the middle, that defensive anchor uh, that could tie everything together. So I I really love this pick for them uh, as they try to build for the rest of this decade. Do you think we'll ever cover the movie Coach Carter? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Because I, it's weird because Coach Carter is a universally loved movie, but it's not really a movie about basketball. Right. Like it's a people love the movie and it is a very good movie, but the, the messages in the movie really aren't basketball related. Uh, they're, they're, they're more social related. The, uh, the, the guy, uh, Ty Crane, who is the, I guess, the big-time basketball player that they go up against in the finals, that guy is based on Tyson Chandler. Why they didn't just use Tyson Chandler's name for that movie, <laughs> I will never understand. Uh, but, yeah, that's a lot of people have always wondered who that guy was was based on. That is Tyson Chandler. And that's why I ask if we're ever going to wow. cover that. But I, uh, I learned something today. That's Oh, you, did, you didn't know that. Oh, okay. I didn't yeah. know that. <clears throat> yeah, that Tyson Chandler's Dominguez uh, team was the one who uh, knocked off Richmond in the uh, in the state finals. Huh. Uh, yep, you learn something new every day. There you go. Uh, the Memphis Grizzlies are up, and I'm going to be selecting for them. I'm going to take uh, the Hibachi Man himself, Ooh. Gilbert Arenas. We're going to make the locker room a gun-free zone, and we're going to make sure that Gilbert stays on his p's and q's. 
And I mean, this guy could score, man. Like he was, yeah. he was scary. I mean, just a dangerous, dangerous player. Like 29 points a game, 28 points a game, 2006, 2007. Was there any player better than, I mean, obviously there were better players than him, but this guy, like if the wizards were coming into town, you were, you were afraid of, of what Gilbert Arenas was going to do to you. And uh, yeah, I think, you know, the Grizzlies are a, are still very much an upstart team when they get to Memphis. And I look, I know I like Jason Williams and I bought his Jersey and everything, but you're going to have to sit on the bench, man, because uh, Gilbert Arenas is a much better player. And I still can't believe the Warriors screwed that up. Well, I, I think, I believe that it was in the, under the same uh, lines as when the Pistons were forced to let Mehmet Okur go is because second round picks, you didn't have uh, bird rights back then to re-sign second-round picks if you didn't have cap room. I, I think the Warriors kind of – I don't know how hard they tried to keep him, but I think they were kind of forced to let him go like the Pistons were forced to let Mehmet Okur go. Okay. I think that's how – That's fair. All right, so my one question is, now you have Jason Williams, Gilbert Arenas, and Jason Richardson. So, so yeah, <laughs> that's going to be a crowded backcourt. Um. All right, so uh, with the seventh pick, which did belong to the New Jersey Nets, but the Houston Rockets traded up. Uh, it was a three-pick for one-pick deal. Uh, they traded for the seventh pick. They traded up. They traded the 13th, 18th, and 23rd picks in this draft. And they traded up to seventh to select uh, Eddie Griffin, who we will not talk about uh, today. Rest in peace, Eddie Griffin, but... It was one of the many, many, many examples in NBA history where a team traded out of the lottery and absolutely got destroyed in the trade. Right. Uh, but I can't change that. All I can do is make the selection. So with the seventh pick in the draft, uh, the Houston Rockets. Ooh. Uh, you know what? I I'm going to make this easy. I'm going to select Zach Randolph. I'm just going to go with the straight-up best player on the board. I, I know uh, more than likely Yao Ming is coming in a season. Uh, Randolph, I think, could play with Yao Ming. I don't think it would be a great fit, but they are a, a four and five combo. Uh, but but more than anything, I think the Rockets have always lacked a, at least in this decade, they lacked a big post forward that could dominate the paint and put up points. And Zach Randolph is currently that. It, my only concern is it took him about 10 years to really become Zebo you know, the bully on the block uh, with Memphis. Before that, he was almost looked as a disappointment, even though he was putting up numbers. It was kind of like Julius Randle today now. I think that's a very good comparison, uh, where he kind of got poked fun at, uh, slow, doesn't play a lot of defense, uh, old school, you know, paint guy, but still like to shoot jumpers. Uh, he, he was a lot like Julius Randle. I, I think Zach Randolph, I like him a little bit better. Uh, but in any case... Uh, so I I think Zach Randolph in Houston, I don't know if it'll be a great fit with Elming, but I'd like to I would rather try it than select one of these other role players uh that are lower on my board. Because I think Randolph perennial all-star talent, even though I think he only made one or two in his career. I uh it's Shaq used to call it old man basketball. Uh anytime Zach Randolph would come out on the court. And yeah. and I think that he just needed to learn that he could just do that. Like he just could use his body and he was so wide and so big and so muscly that like it was hard to, you couldn't defend him. And especially when he was down there in the paint and once he learned, I think once he learned, he could do that. Like you said, it took him 10 years to do that, but uh, yeah, he, he was pretty unstoppable there for a minute. And that, and that grit and grind uh, Grizzlies run. Um, I mean, uh, he was, it, it's hard to believe like, but, his third year in the league, he was averaging over 20 points a game in Portland. Like, he, like he was putting up numbers almost immediately. It's just no one ever took him seriously until he got with the Grizzlies and started leading them to playoff victories. Like, he's uh, – I think his – if I can interrupt one time. Like, his yeah. shot moment was when the Grizzlies – uh, pulled off one of those magical 8-1 upsets against the Spurs in the first round. Like, he dominated Tim Duncan. Like, he destroyed Tim Duncan. Like, that, that was how good he was. Uh, I 
I would like, I don't know. Like maybe if he's with a more serious team at the beginning of his career, maybe his, maybe he's taken more seriously as a player. Maybe he doesn't need 10 years to go to Memphis. I don't know. It's interesting to think about. So uh, with the number eight pick, uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers, uh, my co-host Mike Payton is up. All right. The Cavs originally took uh, does Sagana Job. I'll 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 pronounce it for you. His name is Sagana Job. Okay, because it looks like does Zagna does I got okay. That's yeah. That's, I figured I'd cut out the middleman here. That one's not for me. Um, I still have a hard time with Halopuli Lati Vitae on the Lions. I'm still I just I I I don't write articles about it. Uh, <laughs> It's hard to spell his name. Um, I'm going to go ahead and take a guy that you are probably familiar with. Uh, I don't know if you were in Charlotte at this point in time. You probably weren't. But this guy, Gerald Wallace, used to used to rule things as the uh, when he was with the Charlotte Bobcats. Um, he was like the best player on the team for, for a while. A uh, guy who could get you double-double uh, on, a, on a regular occasion. Um, all-star in 2010 uh gerald wallace i i always liked his game and i like that he could he could play small forward he could play power forward um i i just really liked that he uh he, he could really crash the boards and um and that's why he got the nickname crash and crash yeah <laughs> yeah and uh yeah i i like gerald wallace were you there for the charlotte bobcast did you see that at all Yes. Yeah. I actually, the, the year I moved down here was his last year in Charlotte. So yeah, I was, I was down here for the tail end of that. Um, uh, yeah. Cr- Crash Wallace, um, very late pick in the, fr- I mean, the, the, the Sacramento Kings stole him, right? Like they absolutely stole him. And the worst thing about it was they were such a deep team. They couldn't even find time to play him, which was sad because, he finds his way into the Charlotte Bobcats because they left him unprotected in the expansion draft in 2004, which they probably shouldn't have done. But in hindsight, they just had too many good players. They probably didn't realize just how special he was, even though they saw him every day in practice. But just looking at him in, in his prime in Charlotte, just making these ridiculously athletic, uh, he's like what Hami Diallo would be if Hami Diallo was an all-star. Like he, like the absolute highest potential of Hamid Diallo, and you look at that and you're thinking, this guy was left unprotected at like age 24 in the expansion draft. What were the Kings thinking? But it's just one of those things that sometimes is the having so many good players, sometimes it blinds you to, you know, the real talent that's on your team. Uh, now, I, I, there was a player on the board who I liked more than Gerald Wallace, but I sort of cheated here because the Pistons are up next. And I sort of lobbed this one up to you, Keith. We'll see if you, if you slam at home. Oh, here's my problem. I have two guys on my board that I've had rated ahead of Gerald Wallace. Um, I think they're both fantastic fits. Uh, one of them actually was a fantastic fit on the Pistons. <sighs> but do I want to take, do I want to mm. – I guess the question is, do I want to uh, rock the boat here? Rock do I want to potentially change history? Rock it, Keith. Do it. Do I want to take the hometown guy or the guy that – you know what? I, I, I will rock the boat. Do it. Um, I, I am going to pass on a future all-star uh, and take one of the great role players in NBA history. Yes. Uh, out of out of Duke, the Pistons select. No. <laughs> oh, that's not what I wanted you to do. Uh, uh, Shane Battier, uh, really, though, he was kind of the po- It was interesting in this draft. He was kind of the poster child for everything that was wrong with college basketball uh, because he was this guy that didn't leave college early to come to the NBA. He was this guy that, you know, had, you know, 4.0 GPA, went to class every day. Uh, j- just these things that were just practically counterculture to what NBA players were at the time. And, you know, he comes into the NBA, has an extremely solid career for 15 years, uh, wins championships with LeBron in Miami, just 
but it, it's not just in Miami. Every literally every stop that he made, uh, he t- he made those teams better. He made those teams great uh, with his defensive presence and just the idea of man, what what, what could he do alongside Tayshawn Prince and Ben Wallace and and uh, Rasheed Wallace later on? The thought of that is what made me pick him uh, honestly for the Pistons at number nine. Uh, I. Yes, I, I could have gone with some other guys uh, that had maybe a little bit more offensive firepower, but honestly, of all the non-Pistons in the last 20 years, doesn't Shane Battier strike you as the the, the most Piston-like of all of the non-Pistons? Like maybe he is a little bit of like a Joe Dumars goody two-shoes, but I, I, the way he played on the floor, I always respect. I always loved watching Shane Battier play. Uh I, I think he's incredibly underrated, uh, even though I wouldn't consider him a star. Your retort, sir. Oh, man, that's just not what I wanted you to do. <laughs> I teed you up to make my dreams come true, and you didn't. Uh, no, I look, Shane Battier is a winning player. Uh, and you can't take that away from him. The guy just knows how to win. Uh, did it at Duke, did it in the NBA. Imagine, imagine a, uh, Imagine a rotation that will allow you to maybe have on the floor all at one point, Shane Battier, Mike James, and Lindsey Hunter. That's yep. pretty scary. Ben Wallace too, you know, uh, just a real, just a, like almost like a grind line for the NBA. Uh, that would have been interesting. Um, the guy I wanted you to take is who I'm going to take here with the Celtics pick is okay. Richard, Richard Jefferson. Oh no! Because no. I think Richard Jefferson is one of the great no. players. Uh, I would have shot that down immediately. You don't like Richard Jefferson? What's what's to not like about Richard Jefferson, man? He wasn't even the best player on that Arizona team, and he probably had the best. He probably had the best full career of any of those guys who actually got drafted. Uh, I mean, Jefferson Jefferson was great. Longevity could score. Uh, could could turn could turn into a role player as he did later on in his career. Um, fantastic TikTok follow, fantastic TikTok follow. Uh, one hell of an announcer, and I, I just I'm I'm just a, a a Richard Jefferson fan. I it's just it's just what I have. I I had two problems with Richard Jefferson. Well, I did consider him for the piss, and the one he's not a great outside shooter. And he didn't. He wasn't an outstanding defender. He wasn't a terrible defender, but his thing was, you know, catching passes and and finishing around the rim. Very later in his career, he developed a reliable three point shot, but that is not now. Uh, also, he wasn't a guy that would really make plays for others. But look, I, I respect the hell out of Richard Jefferson in his career. Uh, but was he a guy that? I mean, he, he he wasn't that high on my board. I'll put it that way. Uh, he, he, I would have picked him up eventually, but I wouldn't have picked him in the top 10. All right. So the Celtics, once again, are back on the clock. And which, by the way, I, I don't know how many minutes he's going to get playing behind Paul Pierce. Cause he was very much a three and not a, couldn't shoot well enough to play guard, but it wasn't really a big forward either. So he, I look, I think he'll play, but I think he runs into the similar issues that Joe Johnson had in, in Boston, which is, it's hard to get minutes when you play the same position as Paul Pierce. Uh, um, so with the number 11th pick in this draft, and this this another guy that's been number one on my board for a very long time, uh, out of Turkey, the Boston Celtics selected Mehmet Okor. And I, I think this speaks to how, uh, how deep the, the top end of this draft class is, that we're getting a guy that, is a future all-star at the 11th pick. Uh, Mehmet Okor, uh, we just went over him. He was kind of a victim of the rules at the time where he was a second-round pick, and second-round picks, teams weren't able to hold on to them as easily as they were first-round picks. They were considered disposable. And even though Okor was pretty damn good from the second he stepped on the floor for the Pistons, like it was, it was very obvious Joe Dumars pulled off a steal when he drafted him uh, when the Pistons made the Rashid Wallace deal, the capitals at the time made it literally impossible for the Pistons to pay Mehmet Okur what he was worth. 
and still pay Rasheed Wallace, and they had to choose one or the other. And it was a no brainer. You had to keep you had to keep that championship core together. You had to keep Rasheed. And O'Kerr wound up being an all-star down the road in Utah instead of Detroit, which always kind of hurts my feelings because I don't think he wanted to leave Detroit, and I don't think Joe wanted to let him go. It's just he was forced to. Uh, Mehmet O'Kerr, for those of you that don't know, uh, true center, uh, one of the best three-point shooting centers of all time, wasn't just a shooter either, could take you off the dribble, could finish around the rim, could post, uh, not the most uh, efficient defender, but on offense, especially scoring the ball, there's really not much he couldn't do. And as I said in the beginning of this, at his peak, he he made the All Star team. He was that good. So shoot, what I mean, the 2002 Celtics go to the conference finals, and this really without a center that mattered. So how good could they have possibly been if you put Mehmet Okor on that front line with Paul Pierce and Antoine Walker? Do they beat the Nets? I think they very could. They very well could beat the Nets. They they will still get swept in the finals by the Lakers, but uh, just like the Nets were. But hey, I I think this could be a, a little bit of a, a future changing move here at the, at the uh, eleven pick. I think we we could affect the NBA Finals here. Yeah, uh, by making this pick, it's very possible. All right, so the number twelve pick in this draft belongs to the Seattle Supersonics. Uh, Mike, uh, who, are, who are we taking here? Vladimir Rodmanovich. No, I'm just kidding. Not going to change. Gonna okay. No, no, we are going to change. Uh, man, it is amazing how how teams were just really hoping to hit on that next Dirk. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, I'm you, gonna... are, you are? Not. Okay. You, that was a joke. You're not taking him? I am not taking Vladimir Rodmanovich. Okay. No, he was on my board. I actually bought Yeah, him. I mean, he's like not a horrible player. Not a horrible player. I just, he's not on my board. Uh, I'm going to take Eddie Curry, uh, a little bit of a shortened career. Um, but when he was, when he was playing, he was, he was pretty decent. And this Sonics team is about to lose Vin Baker. They need a center. Uh, why not bring in this, this young high school kid? Uh, he, you know, just hope that he, he can, he can, he could stay healthy and, uh, and, and things will work out. He was, he was like out of the league. He was out of the league at 30. But really, I mean, 26 is like he played three games at 26, seven games at 27, 14 games at 29, two games at 30. I, I must have missed what happened to Eddie Curry. But, man, it, it really went downhill for him. Uh, but he was pretty good. Player I, think he, I, think he, I think he had heart problems. Oh, OK. Yeah, that would that would certainly explain that. Um, but uh, his days with the Knicks and his early days with the Bulls, he was a pretty decent player. So. I think we'll take a shot here. Okay. Yeah, no, I Eddie Curry not on my board. However, at the 12th pick, I don't think he's a necessarily a reach either. Because he had those health issues and he had a relatively short career, those are reasons why he's not on my board. But the the, the Sonics are a good playoff team, so it might be worth it to have a guy that could be more impactful right away for the next four or five years while Rand. Allen and uh, Richard Lewis are there. All right, so the New Jersey Nets, and they're they're about to start on their big renaissance with Jason Kidd. Uh, they have the 13th pick, even though they had this seventh pick and stupidly traded down. Who am I going to select? What was that team lacking? Uh, I, I think everyone would agree that team was lacking shooting. And there are several really good shooters on my board. Uh, this is actually a pretty good spot for the Nets to be. Who is going to be the most impactful guy? I am going to say, I'm going to select Andres Nocioni out of Argentina. And Andres Nocioni, never the greatest, very much a role player in the, the same vein as Shane Battier. I think he was a little bit more athletic, a little bit more mobile than Shane Battier, a little bit more of a playmaker than Shane Battier. But one thing he could do, he could pick and pop. He could shoot. He played good defense. He ran the floor. Uh, his numbers do not wow you. I do not care. Uh, he was an excellent, excellent uh, role player for a number of years. Uh, also a great international player alongside Pau Gasol, or alongside uh, Manu Ginobili. 
uh, I think he does play in this Nets rotation almost immediately. Uh, I, I He's not Richard Jefferson, but I think he plugs right into that role in a different way, and I think he makes them as effective. <laughs> okay. I, I I was, like, struggling to find him I real, that before realizing he was an undrafted player. Um, okay. I've got the last pick in the draft. Okay. I could either... All right, keep keep in mind, just as a reminder, uh, I took Tyson Chandler earlier yes. for the Warriors. Yep. So you have that working with you. I could either do something uh, stupid, because why not? Uh, or I could play it smart. I think that I am going to do something stupid. There's only uh, one wrong pick here. I'm just only... talking right now. I'm There's looking only... at every guy on my board. They are all a fit except for one guy who overlaps the guy I already drafted for them. I th- I think you don't understand how stupid I can get, sir. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. You got this. Come on. Mm. Maybe I won't do something. I just don't want to stick, but I feel like sticking would be smart because Troy Murphy actually was a pretty he's, decent player. I'm going to be honest with you. He is the highest rated player left on my board. Yeah, he's the highest rated player left on my board as well. I just don't like to stick. Um, I hate sticking because it feels like I'm just not doing anything, <laughs> but uh, I'll I'll just stick. I, I was going to try to work in a Carlos Arroyo thing. Um, I was even going to try to work in a, a a Brian Scalabrini thing, but I'm not going to do it. I'm just kidding. Troy Murphy is the pick. Uh, you know, he, he was a pretty decent player for, for the Warriors and, uh, yeah, we're just going to stick. Nothing exciting here, folks. Sorry. Well, uh, <laughs> you know what? Just down the road, six years from now, he will be the primary asset that the Warriors use in a trade that brings in Al Harrington and Steven Jackson. Hey, who right. who formed the the core of the the brief brief but exciting we believe warriors. So yeah. by 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 staying the course, you you are kind of setting good things into motion for the warriors. Okay, all right. I guess that's that's you know I and I like the warriors. I got nothing against the warriors. Uh, all right, there you go. Uh, so there's that. I I will say that I really truly enjoy the uh. The thing that Brian Scalabrini has done on on YouTube, where he he, there's this weird thing where people assume just because you're really bad in the NBA that means you're not a good yeah. basketball, and that I you know me some guy who sit on my couch could beat you, and he decided to go ahead and just have these guys challenge him to basketball games, and he wipes the floor with all of them because, and I think he he says I'm closer to LeBron James than you are, uh, and it's just it's funny. Um, it's it's funny that it, it, both people think that uh, that just because you're really bad in the NBA means you're a bad basketball player, and uh, and that you could beat him, and and that it's funny that he just yeah. wipes the floor with him. Yeah, on that note, Troy Murphy, um, five seasons in the NBA, averaging a double double and a career three point percentage of just under thirty nine. <laughs> if he could play any sort of defense at all, he would have been in my top five. Just that's how good he was, how effective he was as a rebounder, a scorer, and, and a floor spacer. He just was the, he, there were a number of years where he was the worst defender in the entire league, and there was just not even a close second. That 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 is the one. If you look at his numbers, you're 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 kind of laughing, but it's, because it's like, well, how are they struggling to pick this guy at fourteen? And that that was just kind of his thing was he would put up a lot of numbers, but his team would generally lose because the guy opposite from him would constantly put up better numbers. Yeah, I uh <clears throat> he's a good player. Good player. Uh I'm, I'm sorry, I was trying to find a video that would uh that would work perfect for our for next week's episode. Um which is gonna be a big one. And unfortunately I couldn't find the best video. Uh but we are going to be covering Mr. Ball Don't Lie himself. 
I was trying to find the perfect video of uh, Rashid Wallace shouting, ball don't lie. And I just couldn't do it. <laughs> I just couldn't do it. Um, so, yeah, that's who we got next week. Rashid Wallace. I'm really, really, really excited about this one, especially after we just talked about him a little bit on our trade episode. Uh, pumped. Pumped. What might the people, would people learn anything new? I know we're going to have a discussion of, of is Rashid Wallace a Pistons player or a Blazers player? I think controversial is the best term to describe Rashid Wallace. Uh, he, he was very much a, a walking contradiction where he had Hall of Fame talent, but he put up uh, semi-pretty good player numbers. Uh, he was incredibly impactful despite not being an incredibly efficient offensive player. Shot threes at a time when no one wanted big men to shoot threes. Uh, picked up technical fouls that hurt his team, yet constantly he played better after picking up technical fouls. Just one of the weirdest players in NBA history. Uh, I, I cannot wait to get into his episode uh, because his career is very much defined by the Pistons, and yet uh, before and after, I think it spans way, way further than the Pistons. So uh, what people might find out about him uh, – I, I am interested to see how surprised people are by next week uh, next week's episode. I, I'm I'm interested myself to see uh, well to figure out where exactly it's going to go because I I don't even know right now. I don't know how our discussion is going to go. I have to map it out. There's so many different ways we can do this. Yeah, I am looking forward to it. Uh, we will uh, see you guys next week with Rashid Wallace. Thanks for listening.